Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. A quick shout out to just a handful of you that are supporting us on Patreon. This week, I want to thank Madeline, Bonnie, Sonali, Drew, Dana, Patricia, and Christopher for supporting the show. And also to Amy, who is the latest to jump on board this week, supporting us at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. This show continues because of new donors on Patreon and longtime donors like Terry and John, who donate through our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Thanks to all of you who do. We couldn't do it without you. Support also comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious, helping to arrange great Italian vacations at italybeyondtheobvious.com. And right now, until I run out of them, all new donors will receive a Bittersweet Life magnet featuring art by our muse, Caravaggio. And if you don't have the money, but you do love the show, text a friend right now, suggesting that they subscribe. Spreading the word is another great way to help the show. Now, Halloween is coming, and around this time of year, Tiffany and I like to get a little ghostly. So join us now as we return to the realm of spirits and legends. We revisit an episode we did about ghosts. I think you'll find it just as spine-tingling as ever. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany is in Rome. I am in San Francisco and rapidly approaching is Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) I figured uh, it's still, we we have a week and a half to go until Halloween, but I figured I still wanted to do a show about the spooky things of the world because I love this holiday. I don't necessarily love dressing up for this holiday, but I do love this holiday. Oh, I love dressing up. Do you? For any occasion, I love getting in costume. Takes me back to my drama days when we were doing shows and we were always getting in costume. I love, I love getting dressed up. Well, I didn't before last year when I was in New Orleans and we had so many occasions to dress up that I really embraced it at that point. So this year, I'm a little concerned that I don't have a plan or anywhere to go. <laughs> you know, whereas last year it was like full on today you're a sugar skull tomorrow you're gonna be this day after that you're gonna be that so I kind of miss that I've been missing New Orleans a little bit because they really get into the spirit of things so we're gonna do this show in the hope that we get in the spirit of things I don't know where we want to start there's so many different angles you can go at when you're talking about spooky things we could talk about our own personal ghost stories we could talk about the scary places we visited in our travels we could talk about the scary things we're reading this month Where should we begin? What do you think? Well, I want to hear your ghost stories. You have a ghost story? Well, I have a ghost story, but it's pretty mundane. (laughs) All right. Well, I think I should be the judge of that. I think all of us have had this experience where you're almost falling asleep and you hear somebody call your name. Have you ever had that? And you sit up in bed and then you realize, of course, nobody's there. And I don't consider that a ghost story. I consider that more of a you're dozing off and you hear like, somebody call your name i've never had that happen to me actually Hmm. i had that happen once in college where i thought that my college roommate had opened the door and yelled katie katie that i sat up in bed and there was nobody there and the door was closed but that's not my story my real ghost story is i was at a cafe or a restaurant and it was a 
stop me if I've told you the story before. <laughs> I was, because uh, <laughs> it's so riveting. Um, I was at this cafe and I went to the bathroom and it was one of those single bathrooms where men and women use it. Mm-hmm. And when somebody's in there, the door and the door is locked, it says occupied. And then when the door unlocks, it says vacant. Can you picture that in your head? I can totally picture it. <laughs> okay. So I'm standing in the hallway and it's occupied. So I'm just sitting there waiting, looking at my phone probably. And it flips to vacant and I'm waiting for the person to come out and they're not coming out. They're not coming out. I finally just decide I'm going to do the thing where you open the door and go, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I figure it's just some woman in there fluffing her hair or something. Right. And I open the door and there's nobody in there. So I watched it go from occupied to vacant. That's scary. And then there was nobody in there. So I don't know what to make of that. If you were going to have a ghostly encounter, it's sort of like the most mundane. It's not like <laughs> a man in 18th century dress pushed past me in the hallway and I, I suddenly realized it was the owner from decades ago. From centuries ago. Centuries ago. Yeah. It's, so it's sort of a dumb, boring story in that way. But, you know, unexplained, I guess. Well, it's interesting that you went straight to ghost instead of being like, oh, there's some mechanical issue with the door or... Maybe there's a back door. Maybe the bathroom has a back door and they went out the other way. Sure. Which is unlikely, very unlikely. But you went straight to ghosts. So I like how your mind works. Does it make it scarier for you to know that the owner of the place had died just a week or two earlier? Ooh, okay. Why? You should have mentioned that before. Oh, sorry. But that'll make <laughs> Sometimes I'm not the best storyteller. Add these elements. But see, if I had added the element of the owner being dead prior to you finding out that there was no one in the bathroom when it... Wouldn't it have been more predictable? Mm, perhaps. You know, this is not a ghost story. Just <laughs> putting it out there. Okay. When our mutual friend Suzanne, who who is really the only person besides our husbands that we ever really talk about on this show. True. As far as a person that we know. So we interviewed Suzanne several seasons ago, a couple seasons ago. Yeah, look for the episodes called Suzanne. Yeah, you'll, you'll find, find her there. Anyway, we went to Croatia together years ago. And... We rented a room from somebody. This is how you kind of do it in Croatia. Like you, you get to the port and there's just people there with pictures of their rooms that they have for rent and you just go with somebody. Creepy. <laughs> it sounds creepy, but it's actually not. It's relatively safe because, you know, these people, they just want to make a buck, you know? So they have this extra room. Mm -hmm. They rent it out to tourists. So we went with this kind of random older man. I didn't think anything of it. They don't notice little tiny details a lot. And Suzanne was like, somebody died here recently and I was like what <laughs> like I thought she like had felt some spirits or something she's like yeah his wife recently died and I'm like how do you know that and I'm like waiting for her to like tell me that she saw it in her crystal ball or something <laughs> yeah a, a cold wind blew through her body <laughs> yes exactly and, and she's like well, did you look inside the linen closet? All of the sheets are like, half of them are perfectly folded and the other half are just stuffed in there. Totally random. Hmm. hmm, you're probably right. This guy probably had his wife who had everything totally perfectly ironed and folded precisely. And he's never had to iron or fold anything in his life. And he has no idea what to do. And he just stuffs it in <laughs> because that was how the closet was. It was like half was perfectly folded and half was a total mess. 
So that's a boring end to the story, but but it just <laughs> your story made me think of it because I like you, I went straight to the idea of oh, it's a ghost. Did she <laughs> yeah. say a ghost? You know, and it was just laundry. You know, for some reason that reminded me of another story, which is I unfortunately is going to be a really boring story. I'll just preface it with <laughs> <laughs> all three of our stories have been pretty boring so far, so. We might have to cut this whole intro. Everybody's just like, why are they telling such boring stories? <laughs> it's partly boring because I don't remember the details, but I stayed in this one bed and breakfast once that was in my college town. In college, I had an apartment, obviously, but this bed and breakfast was this old manor house that was up on this hill that was old and gothic looking. And so I made a point of staying there once just because I wanted to know what it was like on the inside. And... The woman was giving me a tour of this place and she took me up to this attic room where this giant mural had been painted on the wall. And the mural was of all of these different people who had lived in the house painted in this sort of like gray and blue ghostly-ish kind of way. And apparently they all had died of bizarre ways or too young or something like that. At the last minute, the muralist who had been hired to paint these people decided that they would paint a gash in the wall on the opposite side of the room and through the gash they would be peeking so it's their eye looking across at the mural that they painted and very shortly thereafter the muralist also died very young so the lore of the house being by painting themselves into this doomed picture of all these people who were doomed to die young they also doomed themselves to die young Ooh, that is creepy at least that's how they used to talk about it now the people who were painted in the mural did they die after the mural was painted or before before okay but all somehow related to this house very spooky i I was thinking about horror movies and someone was asking what's your favorite horror movie what's your favorite halloween movie and I hate horror movies. Yeah. I really don't like Halloween movies, but I love ghost stories. I don't like any of the other stuff. I don't like zombies. I don't like vampires. I don't like any of that supernatural stuff, but I love ghost stories. And I don't know why I love ghost stories and nothing else, but I just feel like they're so spooky. It could be nothing. It could totally be some completely rational explanation for all of this, but there could be a ghost. I mean, do we really know if ghosts... How do we think we could know that ghosts don't exist? I don't know. So many people have, have had experiences, not myself personally, but, you know, so many people have. It's also fun to just have something that's the unexplained, you know? Mm-hmm. And the ghost stories often have such a subtle turn. It's as if you're in the middle of a heightened situation and then nothing was there, you know? So it has <laughs> sort of this, you know, it's not as violent as a zombie or as treacherous and underhanded as a vampire or something like that, you know? It's just sort of this, like... And another man from the 17th century wandered the hallways forever lost. I don't know. It has this sort of bittersweet, dare I say, quality to him. Are ghost stories something that people tell in Italy? I, you know, I've never really heard people sitting around telling ghost stories, but there are a few ghosts that do walk the streets of Rome, according to tradition. Tradition? Have people seen these people? Or Apparently. Apparently. Oh, do tell. Well, my favorite my favorite ghost is Beatrice <laughs> Cinci because I love Beatrice Cinci. I love the story of her, even though it's horrible. It's horrific. 
Do you know Beatrice Chanchi? Do you know her story at all? Well, please do tell. I'm, I'm sure there are people who don't. But you do. I mean, this is off aside, but do you know the story? I can't remember. Uh, I think you've told me some things about it, but no, please, I don't really remember any of the details. Okay. Well, Beatrice Chanchi was a young noblewoman in the 1500s, in the late 1500s. She was abused by her father, and so was her stepmother. And also at least one of her brothers was being abused by this horrible, horrible man who was a nobleman, but he was just absolutely insane, violent, horrible person. And he was abusing them physically and sexually. And people knew about it. They could hear, they said that they could hear her screams, the screams of of her and her stepmother coming from their palace, which was in central Rome. And he eventually, the father whose first name I, I can't remember, but he eventually decided to move them to like a country estate because he didn't want people to know what was going on. So it was more remote. And so they were in the countryside. And Beatrice, the daughter, she was very young. She was only in her late teens, maybe 20 years old. She and her brothers, and I think the stepmother as well, they hatched a plan to murder the father, but they weren't very good at it. You know, I think that <laughs> in our, <laughs> I think that these days, these days, we've seen so many movies and read so many books and seen so heard so many true crime podcasts that it's like we all feel like we could be like excellent murderers if we, you know, if we were so inclined. God, is that what we? Feel? Well, I just I feel like I feel like if I was going to murder someone, which I never would do, obviously, I wouldn't be stupid about it. I would think about it. I would think it through and I would, you know, and these people clearly did not have that kind of background. <laughs> like they just, they were just like, okay, I can't remember what their first, pl- I don't think they even bludgeoned him over the head with a blunt object and they killed him. But what are we going to do now? Like we've got this dead guy whose head's been bashed in. We can't exactly say this was an accident. So they decided to push him off of the balcony he was drinking, he was drunk because he was an alcoholic. So let's just push him off the balcony. And they, they did kind of like break part of the balcony to try to make it look like he just sort of fell off. But they didn't do it properly. Like it, it didn't take this forensic unit of whatever police department to figure out that this was not an accident. So they were all arrested. What, they just pull out pieces of vase from his yeah, head or something? exactly. I don't even know. There's more to it than that. But they were just, they were very dumb about the murder. And so they were all arrested. I think it was Beatrice, her two brothers, one of whom was only about 12 years old, and her stepmother. There might have been a third brother. Well, the Pope at the time, he was a very greedy guy. You know how rare that that was back then. Right. <laughs> but at the time, like, you know, if a whole entire family was arrested and or executed, everything that they possessed would become the property of the Pope if it happened in Rome or around Rome. And so he had a vested interest in getting them accused, in getting them convicted, right? Because they were extremely wealthy. So he would have got their Roman palace and their country house and all of their wealth and all of their money. And everybody in the city knew that this was what was going on, that he just wanted to, to take all their stuff. And so people were up in arms because they said, you know, whether or not they did this thing, Everybody knew the reason, and nobody blamed them for it. But the Pope did not care, and so they were all executed. Except for the youngest brother, 
who was convicted to, I don't know, lifelong enslavement rowing ships. But Beatrice was, well, she was tortured until she confessed. And then she was beheaded. It happened on September 11th, 1599, right at the Ponte degli Angeli, the St. Angelo Bridge, right in front of Castel Sant'Angelo. And it is said that on that date, on the night of September 11th, Beatrice walks up and down the bridge carrying her head. Mm. So you've gone to try to see it, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. I wish I could say that I had. I feel like this is something we should have done when I lived there. Yeah, I know. We should have taped it. (laughs) Um, Done an interview with her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's probably Rome's most famous ghost. And then another famous ghost is supposedly the ghost of Olympia Maidalkini, who was another very interesting character, totally different type of character. And I think her ghost supposedly is seen in her chariot going around and around in Piazza Navona, which is where their palace was. But uh, I've never seen either of these ghosts. I've never seen any ghost, which is really unfair. I really would like to see a ghost. But another place that's supposed to be haunted is the Colosseum. Yeah. The Colosseum, if you think about it, I mean, we all go there as a tourist attraction, you know. It's amazing from just an engineering and archaeological standpoint. It's amazing. But I think what really fascinates people about the Colosseum is the amount of death that happened there. The tour guides, you know, they really get into it and they describe the battles and the the wild animals and the fights to the death and everything. And I remember reading somewhere the estimated number of people who lost their lives in the Colosseum, not even considering animals. It's tens and tens of thousands of people who supposedly lost their life there. And if you think about it, it's kind of macabre that people go there. I mean, obviously I'm not saying don't go to the Colosseum because people died there. But I mean, that. why is it that people get into that so much? Like, why do people really love that stuff? And I mean, I'm not gonna say that I never also get intrigued by death. And not just death, but like violent death. Why are we intrigued by it? Yeah, I mean, it's why would you like that story about Beatrice being beheaded on the bridge? Yeah, I don't know, but I love that story. I mean, there must be something about it where we puzzle at human nature or those extremes of what would we be like in that situation. I don't even know what it is. It's almost like, why do you look at a car wreck? You can't help it. Yeah. Intrigued by these things or why is true crime like the number one thing like if you and I were hosting a true crime podcast you know how wealthy we'd be by now (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should change (laughs) I know um yeah I mean it's a saturated market but is it because everybody still wants more I don't really know I'm sure there's we should do some research and find out the psychology of that of why why these stories are so mesmerizing and why we kind of glamorize violent death I really don't know, but I think there is a difference between Beatrice Cenci, who basically killed someone out of desperation and self-defense, and like a serial killer. Sure. You can't put them in the same boat. Nope. I can't get behind the serial killer stuff. No. I've been asking friends for podcast recommendations, and they're all telling me I have to listen to serial, and I'm like, ah, I just, why would I want to hear about a serial killer? No, it's not about a serial killer. Oh, it's not? No, it's a it's just an ongoing series of stuff. Oh, yeah. I thought it was about... It's a, a serial story. Oh, I thought it yeah. was a story about... It. Oh, see, that shows how little I know. But the first season is about a person who's accused of killing somebody. 
And so it is a true crime in its own right. It's just done a little bit better than a lot of the other ones. Okay. But, you know, it's interesting now that you mention it, though, this obsession with death or violent death. It's not unlike what was going on in the Colosseum, except at least now we're not violently having people die in front of us as a part of that. Right. Thank God. We're obsessed with the stories about what happens in the back rooms now and a recreation of it like we'll watch a recreation of a i mean i personally don't like horror but people enjoy watching these recreations of violent death but i think that if they thought that it was actually happening i mean sure there are people who are into that but i think it's a very small subset of people most people would not want to actually see someone being killed i hope whereas if you think about the number of people who would go to the coliseum to watch people die i know it's horrifying I know, and just to be one of the people, too, that was, like, about to die there with all this crowd coming, eating their popcorn and hot dogs. No, I'm sure they weren't eating that, but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> the, like, equivalent the equivalent of. It was the equivalent of. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, would you say that the Coliseum, that should not be a part of the tour of the Coliseum? No, of course not. I mean, hey, it's the history of the place, and it's what gives it its allure. It just strikes me as odd that people almost celebrate death in that way. I mean, I'm sure there are many other sites in the world where not necessarily that death is being celebrated, but that death is a huge part of the draw of the tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to a lot of those places. Which places are you thinking of? In Vietnam, I've been to the Hanoi Hilton, which is where prisoners of war were held during the Vietnam War. John McCain famously was held there. Mm. And it wasn't just foreigners. It was also locals, defectors. And it was a place of torture and imprisonment. And I don't know what the setup for it was when it was actually in operation, but it's still standing there, supposedly as it sort of was. And there was a guillotine in the courtyard. There were bottles that apparently guards used to shove up people. There was little tiny rooms where there were shackles in the floor where a person would be in the dark, their hands shackled to their feet. All sorts of stuff like that still there. And that was one of the places I've been where I just felt you could feel the darkness of that place. It still felt very palpable. And it wasn't just that there were these instruments of torture laying around. It just had this awful feeling about it. It's really hard to describe uh, because I've been to other places that were like that, that had lots of torture happen that didn't feel this way. This place gave me a screaming headache. It just felt like there was still an evil vibe to the place, like it still carried all that pain in that location. I don't know. I remember talking to a friend about it. I was traveling with a friend about, and we went to it together and we both had this big, long conversation about whether or not it should have just been burned to the ground where sometimes we sanctify these places that still feel like they carry so much evil and so much weight to them that maybe it would be better that they were just gone and a part of history instead. I, I saw an article about it a long time ago, so I'll remember no details, but talking about the battlefields of the Civil War in America, it was basically showing juxtapositions between Civil War photography and what was there now. In some cases, it would be a battlefield full of dead people and then now it would be a 7-Eleven or a Pizza Hut or a parking lot or whatever. And the whole article was asking that question of, is it okay that we just paved over these places or should they have been sanctified? 
I don't know. I think it's a really interesting debate. I think that you shouldn't run from history, but I do think that there are places that, you know, whatever happened there was just so bad that it would almost be better to just take it down to the ground and start again. That does make sense. I mean, I've been to Dachau Mm -hmm. and you could argue that the same types of horrors went on there as went on at the Hanoi Hilton. Maybe worse, maybe not. But in that case, I kind of feel like it's important to keep it as a memorial to the people who died there and also as a reminder of the depths that humanity can sink to. Yeah. To remember, always, I don't know, be vigilant and to always fight any kind of impulses that might lead us down that direction again. I don't know if there's the same kind of reverence at the Hanoi Hilton. I have no idea what that place is like as far as today in modern times. I know that going to Dachau, I mean, you feel, yes, it's it's a horror thing, but at the same time, you kind of feel like there is a sense of reverence there to the memory of all those people. Yeah. And they haven't, and there's very little left, like specific things. I think they only kept one of the little original I don't even what they you know what they're called like the dormitories I guess there's only like one that they preserved and there I think there are some gas chambers that are still there and ovens and uh and things like that but it definitely doesn't seem as detailed and as gruesome as what maybe you saw in Vietnam well it's hard to know too because what the truth was in the Hanoi Hilton remember in Vietnam the communists won that war and so it is a communist country so you know truth in that particular place is a little bit elusive. I remember that there was uh, this wonderful picture of John McCain, young, handsome, whatever, with a bunch of his soldiers while they're there. And it's a picture of them. I think they're sewing or something like that. They're sewing and they're laughing really, really hard. And the picture is supposed to be this illustration of how great they were treated, like how how much fun they had while they were at the Hanoi Hilton, which, you know, of course, my dad was asking the person at the front desk, well, if he had such a good time here, why can't he raise his arms above his head? And they're like, oh, well, you know, he, he can do that. And he's like, no, no, he can't. And, you know, he had a very good time here. You know, so who knows? So there's a big difference there because in Germany, they take responsibility for what happened during the Holocaust. And they don't try to sugarcoat it from what I gathered when I was there. It's a great sense of national shame that they're finally starting to get past. I mean, it's been a long time now, but it, it sounds like the opposite in Vietnam. They're pretending like it was just fine, like it was a nice place to stay. It's so hard to know because at the same point, it's John McCain laughing, but then it's also a guillotine in the courtyard in a bunch of bottles that you shove up people. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're showing the bad, but also at least saying, hey, the American soldiers didn't have it that bad. Maybe they're just saying our people had it much worse. I don't know. I'm totally out of my element in talking about that because it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I just remember that the vibe of the place had that very sinister feeling to it that wasn't just from the artifacts there. It was something in the air. I don't even know. It's so difficult to describe because I've been to Tool Slang in Cambodia it was like a high school turned detention center where before they would execute people in the killing fields, they would bring them through there, torture them to get a confession so they could get a file out on them and then take them out and kill them all. 
uh, and so it has this equally awful, I don't even know, something like 20,000 people went through there during the war. There's blood on the floor. There's all sorts of horrible stuff. And that place is disturbing, but somehow it feels slightly different to me. It didn't have that same horrible... It's terrible, but it's not... It, I, I, what I'm getting at, I can barely even describe because it's it's this feeling that comes over you that's like a darkness that gives you this terrible screaming headache. And that place gives you like a how awful, how could we do this to each other, these poor people. But I didn't feel that same screaming headache that I felt with the Hanoi Hilton. Jeez, I wonder if it's, I mean, not to like make light of this at all, but to go back to our original topic. Ghosts. I don't know. Maybe it's ghosts. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's souls and unrest. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's an interesting conclusion. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that means that if in the weeks to come you're walking through Rome and you get this screaming headache, <sighs> that maybe instead of a cold breeze washing through you, maybe the screaming headache is the ghost that just passed by. Perhaps. I mean, I've talked about this before, but... If you've, any of you have read Daisy Miller, but the idea that in the 1800s, it, it was believed that if you went into the Colosseum at night, you could die. Mm. There are so many dead souls circling this place that you go in there at night and it's just, you can't, people don't survive it. And people would do that. They would go to the Colosseum at night and they would actually die. And it happens to Daisy Miller, I think, in, the, in that story by um, Henry James. It's dark, but I love that idea that that was so, that was widely believed at the time that that was why people were dying. And I mean, I don't know how many people actually died like that, but because it happened to some people. That does beg the question with Rome being a place where for centuries people tore stuff down and repurposed it. Why did they leave the Colosseum after it was no longer being used? If it was that evil place they did repurpose it it was repurposed in the middle ages well into a church right mm, well later when it first fell into disrepair after the games were outlawed it was put, taken by the frangipani family and it was turned into their family fortress mm, interesting and so it was a fortress for a number of years and then later under like much later in the 1700s it became a church it's not a church anymore but it was very briefly consecrated as a church because it was believed that many, many, many Christians were murdered there. But it's not a completely accepted belief anymore that Christians were like being thrown to the lions. It was definitely for gladiators fought each other there, but that was, there were willing participants. And they had, definitely did have animal fights, but you know, against the gladiators. They also had like fake naval battles there. It is still unknown whether or not Christians were martyrized in the Colosseum, but that was the original point of it being turned into a church in honor of all of those Christian martyrs, but we're not really sure if they were killed there. So it, it was actually reused. Huh, but in the 18th century, when they think that you can die there because there's so many ghosts, and yet people aren't super archaeologically aware. No, they were. I mean, that's when it's... The 1700s was when archaeology kind of took off. The late 1700s, it became popular. I was thinking it was mid-18, but okay, I'll, I'll defer. It was like, the earliest the earliest archaeology in Rome, at least, like the major archaeology, not just like, oh, it's 1500, I'm, I'm a pope, I'm going to take these columns and put them in my palace. We don't count that as archaeology. No. The late 1700s was really when they started like digging and preserving and rebuilding. And by the time of Daisy Miller, late 1800s, it was 
archaeology was a thing and people were traveling to Rome to see the Forum and to see the Colosseum. You can't picture the Colosseum now as it would have been then because there were no gates on it. You could just walk in. There was no line. There was no ticket office. It was just an open ruin and anybody could just walk in. So it was much more of an eerie place. Oh, that sounds so much better too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes and no, because when I moved to Rome, the forum was like that. The forum was just an open archaeological area. If you were walking across town, you could just walk right through the forum to get through town. And in the one sense, you're like, oh, that's nice. But on the other side, it's like, these places actually take a lot of money and to be kept up and a lot of study and a lot of time and work. And if people really want to come and visit them, is it so much to ask that they pay 12 bucks to do so? I don't think so. And I think that people, you know, and especially tourists, tend to value places more if they pay to go in them. Hmm. Don't you think that? I don't know. Well, I'm a cheapskate, so I'm less likely to go in them if I have to pay for them. Yeah, I'm talking about like the mass tourism. I'm talking about like busloads of teenagers. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're just like, oh, there's, you know, I can just wander in this place. You don't value it as much, as much as opposed to, okay, you have to pay to go in here and okay, let's, let's get our money's worth. So let's like get the audio guide and like hear what this place is about. You're much more like likely to take it seriously, I think. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, can I end with one of the scariest true ghost stories I've ever heard, even though I'm going to tell it wrong? Or badly? Yes. Ooh, let me turn the lights down. (laughs) Everybody turn the lights down. This is not my story. This did not happen to me. But when I was the producer at Public Radio in Seattle, we used to do an annual show about ghost stories. It was one of my favorite shows every year because I always got into the Halloween spirit around this time. So we used to revel in it. And I remember very few of the stories that people called in with And the one that stands out the most is this one, because it was so vivid. And this actually happened to one of our listeners. (laughs) So he called in saying that he had recently bought a house. It was a nice little house, a little bit isolated. It had its own backyard. And behind the backyard was a big, huge blackberry bramble patch, which meant, you know, that they didn't have to look at another neighbor's house wall of blackberries. And he was standing in the kitchen window one night, washing dishes, looking out the window while he was scrubbing. And he sees this woman run into the backyard. And he can tell, although he can't hear her, that she's screaming her head off. She looks like she's trying to find somebody who can help her. So he immediately drops the dishes and he runs outside to run into the backyard to help this woman. And when he gets back there, there's nobody there. And he's very confused and figures... Well, she must have run off to one of the neighbor's homes. And so he briefly kind of walks around trying to find her, but never finds anything and goes back in. The next day, he's talking with a neighbor about it because he's wondering what happened to this person. You know, it was alarming. It looked like she was in dire need of assistance. So he's asking the neighbor, did you see her? What happened? And the neighbor said, you know, I've heard something about this before. A long time before you moved in, there used to be a house behind your house, and it burned to the ground. And everybody in the house ended up getting killed. But there was a woman who had escaped and was screaming for help, trying to get somebody to help her get her baby out of the house. Which I believe she had run back in to try to save, and everybody had died. 
And so he hears this story and he's totally creeped out and he goes out back with his clippers and he starts clipping back the blackberry brambles behind the house and he finds the cement foundation of a house behind his place. Oh my God, I just got goosebumps. And we all went, whoa, oh my gosh, that's so scary. See, this is why I believe in ghosts. I mean, I just feel like there's, there are enough things like this that have happened, normal, non-wacky people talk about like that have happened to them and i just feel like these can't all be coincidences mm-hmm. so i believe in ghosts there i'm just going to put it out there i believe in ghosts okay good well let's hope that you have a ghostly encounter soon that we can talk i don't about. know i don't know if i want one i mean I, <laughs> I kind of say that i want one but the truth is i would be freaking freaked out of my mind if i actually did yeah i think well, we should leave it there. Hopefully we've put you all in a Halloween mood. Mm. Why don't you guys send us your ghost stories, if you have any. You can either type them up and email them, or even more fun, send us a voice memo, a recording of yourself telling the story, ghost stories, or scary, freaking, horrifying things that happen to you while traveling. Yeah, and so do it right now, because otherwise you're going to forget. Yes. Just whip your phone out and record Oh, this weird thing happened to my aunt or this weird thing happened to me when I was standing in the hallway waiting for a bathroom and it flipped from occupied to vacant. (laughs) Something like that. And send it to us. That would be really fun. Okay. Okay. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Record your scary ghost story right now and send it to bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com. Don't delay. We want your stories. And if you love the show, consider a donation to it. We are completely listener supported, which, you know, maybe isn't the best idea, but it's what we're doing. If you love the show, please help us pay the bills. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop, click the donate button, and send us a little bit of change to help us with the bills. Why don't you guys call us? I mean, don't really call us. You're not going <laughs> to give your number. Our number. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why don't? <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> no, no, I'm keeping that. But go on. No, put it at the end. <laughs> <laughs>